0: Please welcome, please welcome, welcome. This is another episode of The Defenders of Business Value Podcast. A podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable. Learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now, here's your host, Ed Maisogland.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Defenders of Business Value Podcast. I'm your host, Ed this, uh This episode, you know, There's probably nothing more important, um, in deals than accounting and, and the integrity of the financial statements. And as I've said on the podcast many times, valuation, you know, it's, it's earnings, it's growth, it's risk. Those three things drive value and you have to have good earnings. You and people and confused buyers don't buy. And so today, um, I've got Matt Ramuzzi. From Cap Forge on the podcast, and he he has you know cap forge is out of out of California. they are an accounting firm and they do tax prep payroll coaching, and advisory services and the thing that i I really like about Matt is that he was a deal guy before all of this, so he understands the ins and outs and and what's going to be required of his his business owner clients and that's why I invited him to the show that um you know he's he's gone down this path a number of times not only as a as a deal guy but also now as as someone serving in the accounting profession so i am 100% certain that you're going to get a lot out of this episode so enjoy my conversation with matt ramuzzi from cap well matt welcome to the show thanks for having me i'm
0: happy to be here
1: well <laughs> well i'm i'm glad you are here and and as we're as we're recording this in mid november you know one of the things that i i keep on thinking about is those business owners that are going to begin talking to their accountants about perhaps selling um so so one of the things i wanted to at least start off with is to talk a little bit more about your practice and and how you're serving you know, the, the small business community. Cause I, I do. And, and that's the point of this show. I mean, we're serving the underserved, you know, giving them some information that they probably, you know, have never, or haven't heard enough, you know, <laughs> over the course of their, uh, their time in business. So can you talk a little bit about Cap Forge and, and what you guys are doing.
0: Sure. So we are focused on small businesses. Uh, we do bookkeeping and tax Uh, Bookkeeping is sort of where we started. That's our bread and butter. We've added tax over the years. And another area that we've added is really helping uh, our clients think about selling and get through the process of selling. My background before I got into this was I was actually working as a business broker. And what would happen was, right, the first step in somebody says, hey, I'm thinking about selling my business or I'm interested. Say, great, let's figure out what the business is worth. Let's do that. By taking a look at the financials, and then they go, "Oh yeah, the books, yeah, they're well, they're six months behind." Or you know, my my aunt Susie does them, you know, and I, she's not really a bookkeeper, but she needs something to do, so we let her we let her mess around in QuickBooks. Or you know, there's a million different stories, but they sure. all added up to the numbers were not necessarily current, not necessarily done correctly, um, and certainly not optimized for selling the business. So. That was sort of how we got involved in. Aside from doing the, the bookkeeping and tax, we worked with a lot of our clients and a lot of business brokers uh, who are working with their clients getting ready to sell. And, and obviously, that's why you know you and I are chatting about this because that's a big part of, of what our practice yeah. involves is helping small business owners take their books from okay or maybe not okay or not you know not even in existence and getting them to the point where they can use them to get you know, a premium valuation and really have a painless sale process where there's not a million questions coming up and due diligence about, hey, what is this? And what happened here and what's going on? So quick answer to your question is we're an accounting firm, bookkeeping and tax, but we have this side hustle, <laughs> if you will, in working with business owners who are thinking about selling. So, well, and and that's why don't we start there
1: so you you refer to optimizing for sale what what does that mean to a, to a business owner
0: Well, there's two parts to it the part one is just having clean, accurate books, which sounds like i mean isn't that what everybody should be doing isn't that <laughs> sure. not that sure. a pretty low bar but it it often Thank. you know it isn't a lot of business owners you know, they, well, books are what I just have to do before I give everything to my tax guy, right? Or my, even maybe my tax guy puts everything together. I just give them a bunch of bank statements. But if you think about it from a buyer's standpoint, right? They want to understand and have confidence. And what am I really getting with this? How much money is really coming in? What are the expenses? How much is the owner getting to keep? And that oftentimes isn't the number on the tax return, right? When you, when you think about doing your taxes, you want to show as little profit as you can or even a loss, right? Because that means you pay less in taxes. But on the flip side, as a, you know, you want to sell it, now, ideally, you want to show as much profit as possible because that's going to directly drive what this business is going to be able to sell for. So step one is just having accurate, you know, complete books. That's That's the baseline. But from there, then optimizing it to us means going through and pulling out all the personal stuff, right? We don't want to take it off the books, but we want to separate it out because that shouldn't really count against the value of the business. One-time events, things that, you know, may have come up. Let's say, you know, somebody sued you and you had a $25,000 legal bill defending yourself. The new owner isn't going to have to pay 25 grand in legal fees. So, even though that was a real expense that the business paid, let's move it down into the section of other expenses that won't again count against how the business actually did—it's not part of your normal operations, not part of your normal expenses. So our goal is to go through with the owner and really pull the business apart, so that we can document clearly and transparently for any buyer that's interested or the bank that's going to potentially provide financing for this acquisition deal, exactly how much business the the business is doing, separate from all that one-off stuff, the tax write-offs, the one-time events that you know, sort of pollute the activity, but aren't really what a new buyer is going to inherit and what doesn't really impact how the business itself operates. Well, you know, one of the, the, and it's just
1: happened in the last year, maybe 18 months, you know, we're starting to see sellers preempt the quality of earnings reports that the Mm -hmm. buyers typically do. And and, and some of these sellers you know how I guess from a you know I, I don't know if you do any q of e work but yeah. the, the the you know the question is you know how do you I think it's a great idea i mm-hmm. to me I think you you substantially change the the negotiating leverage with with the buyer if you hand them a you know whether it's a limited Q of E or w- whatever, it's something that says you know what you can rely on this. We'll rep and warranty the these numbers um, more so than than you know just kind of take it at, at face value. So I guess my my question is, you know, give me the wraparound service. How does how does that work when someone says, you know, I'm I'm going I'm going to put the business on the market. I need your help. Tell me what your what Q of E means to you and. How that relates to the buyer
0: yeah and and you're right, I and mean, we've been getting more and more requests from some of the brokers we work with, hey, I've got this business, they have five million in revenue, you know a million point five in EBITDA before we go to market, can you just look everything over, review you know, pretend you're the due diligence team, which we do plenty of that as well. What would you find? what would you have questions on? what do we need to back up and and make sure that we have good answers for, or just clean it up to preempt even there being a question. So that's exactly what we do. We essentially put on our due diligence hats as if we were working on the buyer's team and we go through the whole thing from top to bottom and say, you know, can you explain this? This doesn't make sense. Why is this here? What was this transaction? What happened? And anything that can be moved or cleaned up or or recast in a way that's going to either prevent the question altogether, or at least give us an an easy way to answer the question, we'll do anything that just, you know, look, it happened. There's no way to fix this. But at least we already, okay, here's the bullet points. Here's the explanation. Here's the backup documentation. So that way, when you're sitting at the table with the buyer, right, and you've either pre-done this and given them the report, or you're at least ready, right, they're going to say, hey, I noticed in June of 2022 this thing happened, and you go, "I'm glad you brought that up." Here's exactly what happened. Here's the backup. Here's the letters, the bank statements, or whatever it is. And then the buyer goes, "Oh wow, okay, great. Well, I, you know, appreciate I your know explaining that. that, and that, and that makes a lot of sense. Because if what if the other thing happens? If they go, well, hey, what happened in June of 2022? And you go, I don't know. What are you talking? What do? Let's see. Oh, and you go, oh wow, that's yeah. I don't. I'm not sure why that's like that." You, as the seller, just lost about twenty percent off the sale price. In it, no, no, even yeah, even if ahead. you can explain it later, right? Just the fact that you weren't yep. ready and you didn't have to, and you have to go. Oh, I got to ask the accounting team. I'm not sure. You know that just loses yeah. credibility because even if you can explain it, the buyer's mentality is, well, I found that they didn't even tell me about it. I found it. Right. What else haven't I found that I didn't ask about? That's laying somewhere in Damn. there. Undiscovered, and that they immediately feel like, well, there's more risk in this deal because I don't know what I don't know, and now I'm nervous.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and it's funny you say that because one of the things that, uh, and I guess one of the questions uh, that I know everybody asks is, what's the difference between quality of earnings and an audit? You know what? And and there's there's a pretty big distinction.
0: Right. And there's also I mean, people talk about quality of earnings and quality of earnings light. Mm -hmm. Right. So it it really has to do with the size of the deal and the amount of money you're going to invest up front in doing this analysis. And also the level of liability you're going to transfer to the people who did the review. Mm -hmm. Right. So most small business deals kind of come stamped by the broker with a disclaimer that says, look, the seller gave us this stuff. You know, we think it could it could be good. It's really up to you as the buyer to do your homework when you go. You know, you get a quality of earnings or an audit. um, Then you're getting you're involving a third party who's not only doing the review but also signing Mm -hmm. off on it and saying, you know, to the best of our professional experience, this is accurate, and we will incur some liability to that fact. If it turns out you buy the business and later discover we were way off base and there was a lot of problems that accounting firm is now going to have some liability to the seller or potentially the buyer to make this thing whole because right. they signed off on it
1: so i'm certain everybody's going to ask the, the same question what does something <laughs> like that cost and i know it it markets vary and so on and so forth but i i mean i always tell everybody you know brace for a five figure you know this is a this is a five figure conversation you're gonna have and uh, to, yeah. and so that's part that's part one of the question but part two of the question is does it preserve value or does it amplify value if you hand somebody quality of earnings do you get do you get that money you know it's kind of like fixing your bathroom or your kitchen or whatever in your house you know you're gonna recover that that on the sale do you recover you know when you do that kind of the preliminary work do you recover it on the back end?
0: Right. So it, to address the cost first, um, you know, when we do a, a review like this, it really depends on the size of the business and the complexity mm-hmm. of the business. So we do, you know, we work with businesses that go from six figures to eight figures mm-hmm. and the, the report, you know, and the, and the process can go from two or three thousand bucks for a small business that doesn't need a lot to 10,000, 15,000 for a large business that needs a fair amount of digging in and, you know, recasting and so on. I would say the average cost for one of our clients, in it with a seven-figure, you know, sort of mid-range business, is seventy-five hundred to ten grand. Got it. Now, very important question that you asked, right? What is this? What do you get for your money? <laughs> Essentially, sure. is huh? the is the is the question. What I see over and over again is two kinds of clients. One kind of client comes to us, or somebody like us this doesn't have to be us. First, right, before they go to market, say, let's do this ahead of time. And if it's done right, like I said, you you preempt a lot of questions, you fix a lot of things. And a lot of times what we can do is we'll dig through and find more value to add back that the broker didn't find and the seller didn't realize they could, right? Again, those one-time costs, those, well, you know, who's Doris? Oh, Doris is my aunt. We put her on payroll, but she doesn't really, you know. Well, you're paying her 80 grand and you're telling me she's doing 15 grand worth of admin work. So Good. there's a there's a delta there that we can capture and put back. And then if you sell it a 4x multiple, Doris is right. now worth 240K to you by identifying that. Oh, you know, I didn't even think of that. So we're on the hunt for value that we can bring back to the table for the seller. So that's one way you recapture it when you do it ahead of time. And the other thing that happens is when we do it ahead of time. The business gets listed at the right price, and typically the first buyer that comes who's qualified closes the deal. So there's time saved in from the start of listing to the close of the deal. You generally only go through it once because it doesn't fall out in due diligence. The other client that comes to us is we've had two buyers fall out. Why? Well, both times they found all these problems in the financials. So we really realized we need to fix that before we can go back to market again. All right. Well, you you burn nine months and legal fees and everything else, mm-hmm. falling out, finding you know their due diligence team found all these problems, but now you've got to fix them before you can go out again. And now you know when the third buyer comes along, that goes. Well, what happened with the first two buyers? Now you got to tell that story. Yeah. So I think I you you you've added value by doing it up front. If there's more value to capture, which there often is, and two you saved that time of being burned on two or three deals that fell apart before you finally decided, Hey, I guess, you know, we can't just blow this off and say, you know, that is what it is. We really need to fix and address these problems and be able to explain it to a buyer. And then we'll be able to actually get to the finish line with this.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one, and one of the things you, you mentioned is is finding things to add to the to the cash flow as opposed to take away. You know, and, and I, I didn't look at it that way because I, I n- normally the, the, the folks that we're squabbling with, you know, they have put so much on there and it's like, man, it's, you can't do that. No one's going to, but no one's going to buy into this. And, and unfortunately, and then we're taking it away, but it's interesting that it, it can go the other way too, that, you know, the things that, right. that you hadn't thought of. Um, have you seen any interesting ways that, that this, you know, that this is done? Like, for example, I've, um, I've often thought, you know, as a deal shop, maybe we ought to, you know, bulk up the retainer and pay for the Q of E ourselves and, and have, you know, that's just part of the, the, the deal costs, so to speak. Have you seen any interesting ways that, uh, that sellers have, have, have gotten that accomplished? Or is it either one or either some guy, some guy like me pays for it or, or they pay for it
0: it's we we definitely have brokers we work with who pay us rather than having the client pay us mm-hmm. um, it it I think it depends on how the conversation goes right, and how mm-hmm. valuable the seller perceives their deal to be and how valuable the broker perceives the deal to be as to who they can get to pay for it right because sometimes yeah, yeah, right if it's a if it's a marginal deal, and you sit down with somebody who's an intermediary and says, "Look." If you take it to market as is, you're going to get x. But if yeah. you can go work with CapForge and get this cleaned up and get this right, I can get you 2x. And I, I yeah. almost don't even I'm not even willing to take it to market at the 1x because it's going to be such a headache and the buyers are going to shoot this thing to pieces with all their objections and questions. It's yeah. almost unmarketable without fixing it. But if you fix it, now you've got something legit, right? So those yeah. people they yeah. will come to us and how much is it and then they may... Now, if the broker goes, look, this is, a, this is a fantastic business, even with these garbage financials, <laughs> they go, yeah. I'll pay for it to get it fixed just so we can sell it and get you a premium because I know yeah. it's going to sell either way, but my job is going to be so much easier if I don't have to fight with the broker over all these, you know, well, what's this and how did that, what, what's going on? So it's, it goes both ways, but yeah. either way, it facilitates the ability to sell, sometimes to sell at all and sometimes to sell at the price you could get versus the price you're going to have to take
1: interesting so let's let's talk about the the financials and you know where are the common areas that you see that you know it's like man, if you guys would only just spend the time to to fix this where, where on the income statement and balance sheet are are you are you seeing the most value leakage for lack of a better term? <laughs>
0: Oh gosh! I mean, it, it's kind of all over the place. Um, you know, one of the things we see all the time is commingling, right? Either between Uh-oh. business and sure. personal, or multiple businesses, right? With multiple business, yeah. business and personal, you can pull it out for the most part and make the case. Although some expenses, you know, depends what it is, right? If it's let's say it's a it's a landscape architecture business, it goes well. Those were supplies were for my house. Well. How, you know, how do I know? Right. Really? I get,
1: we get that. Right. That, that happens.
0: Times. Sure? But the other thing is when there's, when somebody owns multiple businesses and they go, Oh, you know, Joe and Bob and, and Jane, they work for this business, but they also, I mean, they mostly work for the other business. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah, Okay. Well, how do we, how do we know, you know, how does right. that really split out? So if you can work that out ahead of time, do the allocation, come up with the backup, Or take them off altogether, right? We don't, we don't really need them. I just sort of, I pay them from here, but they work over there. It's just always been easier, you know, all that kind of stuff that happens. That sort of, hey, look, I own all the businesses, so who cares? Well, no one cares until it comes time to sell, and now people care. Now you have to pay attention to that.
1: So, how long does it take to, like, if I if I unwind that? All right, so I've got, I've got, uh, I've commingled payroll. And you know how long you know before how long before the buyer you know can say all right you know what I mean we we I guess we readjust all right so we re basically rebuild the income statement to reflect that you know does it I can't imagine that it, it's it's helpful <laughs> you know not, not helpful from the standpoint of I th- I think you know. Confused buyers never buy. Period. End of the story. There is, right. you know, if they can't figure it out, you aren't selling. But what I wh- where I was going with it is that, all right, let's so we rebuild it. Does does the buyer, does the buyer look at it and say, all right, I can go with that? Or is there a value penalty that accompanies it? You know, it's like like you were mentioning earlier that mm-hmm. you know you got junk financials. You know, <laughs> and now if I find it, you got a value penalty. You disclose it, you probably not. You know, or not as much. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on. You know, we we we've now we're now rebuilding some uh, a, a a set of financial statements. How I don't want to say reliable, but how you know how does the buyer perceive rebuilt financials that you do?
0: Um, you know, usually what I'll say is the truth comes out, right? So if you say, well, look, I, I took this person off payroll because they're paid from this company, but really they mostly work with the other company. So we made a small allowance and, and that's the truth. If they'll accept it generally at face value, but then if they go and talk to some of the other employees and they go, oh yeah, she was here all the time. You know, she worked late. She came um, more early. Sure. She worked on yeah, the weekends. Yeah. They go, oh, wait a Good point, you know, hold on um we've had cases though like with the last couple years right shipping has been crazy we have some clients that do e-commerce right so shipping has sure. been a big thing we've done recast financials using today's shipping cost. look if i was paying today's rate for the last 24 months instead of these crazy up and down all over the place covid rates this is what i would have made now these aren't these aren't our final financials, this is an Excel recast to show you yeah. what it would have been. But look, here's the invoice today for shipping, here's the last three, here's the price I'm paying, and if I had been paying this price all along, this would have been the margin. Now, yes, I didn't make as much as that because of this, but that's the only reason, and here's today's prices. Again, most of the time the buyer will go, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? I, you know, The shipping yeah. craziness is not, you're not making it up, I can go find it in the news, I can see sure. the invoices from today. I can see yeah. the math. You know, it makes sense. So, buyers are, you know, buyers are open end. to that. As long as the story, you know, keep it simple and keep it true. Is my, <laughs> that's my advice. <laughs> keep,
1: no, that's, that's a great, keep it simple <laughs> and keep it true. What, um, from a lending standpoint, though, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I know that, co, you know, commingled financial statements or commingled Financial statements that tie into the tax return—I don't want to say it's the kiss of death, but boy, it makes life a hell of a lot harder than than it needs to be. So, so I guess you got any, You got any tips and tricks to survive the scrutiny of the uh, of the lender
0: underwriter? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that comes down to who the lender is and who the underwriter is as to how much slack they will cut you. But I will agree. I mean, their standards are significantly tighter for that kind of understanding than a buyer. So if you know you're going, you're in a market space, market size, where the buyers are gonna be predominantly dependent on SBA loans or, or financing like that, you know that's the standard you have to meet. So if your stuff is again, a total disaster of co-mingled garbage, You're going to, A, have to clean it up and then B, run things for 12 months through at least one tax return cycle before you're going to be legitimately able to sell to somebody that needs to go get a loan. If other you take a very low price from somebody who can come up with some deposit and you're going to carry a seller's note that, you know, you you kind of have to. And this is why. Don't try and just don't decide tonight. You want to sell your business and, and list it tomorrow, right? Unless you want <laughs> right, right. the lowest possible price. If you're thinking, you know, an exit is in my future, then start asking the questions now. Who would the buyers be? What kind of financing? Yeah. What kind of requirements are they going to have? And then, you know, you've got a nice runway—12 months, 18 months—to get that really set up. And now, when it comes time to list, all your ducks are in a row. In fact, you could even go and pre-qualify the business for an SBA loan which is a great gem to have in your sure. listing, right? SBA pre-qualified that tells them we've already, we already know the hoops. They're going to ask us to jump through and we can jump through those hoops.
1: That's a good point. What uh, sale prep, sale prep services that you guys do? I mean, you, you I, I know you've touched upon, you know, E and cleaning up books. I'm, I'm, when you're, when you're consulting with these people that are, that are starting down this path,
0: what what are those conversations like? It's really, you know, look, the, the predominant way that you get the best price for the business is by having the most profitable business that you can. So and, and that's good to do, whether you sell it tomorrow or you sell it two years from now. Right. Why would not yeah. you want to optimize the business? So let's look at all the places that over time as a business owner, you kind of take your eye off the ball. And, and stuff accumulates. Excess inventory accumulates. Excess assets, right? I we not too long ago we did a project for a guy at a street sweeping kind of company, you know, the kind of things that go around the city at night, yeah. parking lots or whatever. Right? He had nine street sweepers. Only four of them ever went out of the yard. Well, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, that's I and. Do. You know, excess employees. You know, excess. Sometimes people you know, sign up for all kinds of software subscriptions. They oh, I haven't used that in years. Well, quit paying for it. Or, you know, just all that kind of optimization stuff. Again, you know, some of our e-commerce sellers they'll have 50 different SKUs that they're selling, and 10 of them they lose money on. Well dump that in to get, stop selling that stuff. Oh, well, you know, net, net, we make money. Well, net, net, you'd make more money if you stop selling money, losing (laughs) products. So it's really, you know, the, the process you go through to sell the business is also the process you should just go through in general as a business owner to run an optimal business. Now we all get lazy and tired or, you know, work life balance, whatever you don't always, you know, you don't always have to keep everything screwed down to the tightest, you know, Right. But okay. if you're planning to sell, those are the kind of house cleaning things that you want to do. It's not dissimilar to when you go to sell your house. Right. You go through, you paint the chipped walls and you fix the squeaky door and you do all that. You know, the window screen right. was missing. You put all that stuff. You can live with it because who cares? It's your house. Right. But then when a buyer is going to come and look at it, go, Whoa, it's paint chips, squeaky door and missing screen, you fix all that stuff. And now you get a better price because it yeah. doesn't look like a fixer upper anymore. So same thing with the business, You're right? The um,
1: it it's funny you say on the on the subscriptions. One and this is this was a a tip that somebody else had given was you know at the end of every year this guy changes his his he cancels his credit card and just gets a new card with a new number, and it forces his team to see you know every all their recurring charges and mm-hmm. and he. Yeah, and good on
0: him. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, that's <laughs> that, that, a that's that, a good way to do hot because you you know well this canceled I didn't even know we had it well then obviously not going right? to renew it right who cares <laughs> right
1: so I mean it's it's kind of low hanging fruit but but it got it gets the job done. Um, one of the things I I wanted to talk to you about had to do with winding a company down. Two things: one, what's it look like transitioning accounting? To the new buyer, you know, well, how do, how how does that occur, and and how painful is it, you know, for everybody, I guess, and that so that that I want, to, yeah, let's
0: start there. So it, it could go either way, right? Most of the businesses that we deal with do asset sales. So okay. in an asset sale, the buyer has their own entity, and the seller's entity stays on but they're transferring their customers and their ip and their assets and everything else so the new owner is basically starting books from scratch but they can use essentially the same chart of accounts and set up invoicing the same way and copy over vendors and customers and everything and and you know we do that kind of project all the time it's really not that painful and in some ways you know it gives you a chance as the new owner to optimize right this guy had all this stuff in here that we don't even need anymore so again it's like let's start fresh and just really set it up for success this time don't carry over any legacy baggage that we don't particularly need right. if it's a stock sale then the entity doesn't change at all it continues on it's just the ownership of that entity changes in that case nothing really changes with the books they they go on exactly as they were it's the same everything just you know, new ownership. Mm-hmm. So th- that's even easier. But in either case, you know, that's a project we do all the time and, and it doesn't have to be a disaster as long as you take care of it, right? Now, some people get the new entity set up, but they don't get around to getting a bank account. So they're still using the other guy's, you know, bank or merchant account. Mm-hmm. and Oh, you credit me this. and it, uh, Then it, you can make it a disaster. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. Okay. So,
1: so... One of the things one of the the last questions I had had to do with projections, and you you help you help your clients make projections right yes i mean how you know from a from a advisory standpoint you know i i mean you can tell me what the project i mean as a as a valuation guy, I know mm-hmm. you know business value is earnings growth, and risk that's all it is. From a deal guy, I'm I'm looking at you know what are companies like you're selling for. So when you start putting projections together, you know, you know I've never, you know, I I try to you know conservative, about uh, you know conservative projections, you know the pro formas and, and such. On the sell side, I'm curious to know how you build your projections, and you know because I think we serve you know roughly the same avatar. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious to know how, how you're, you're able to do that. Cause I'm, I'm and, cause I'm certain you are, I just don't know how, um you know, do they come to fruition? Do you ever, do you ever like circle back and just, I'm, cause I, I, I know I do <laughs> whenever I've, whenever I've done projects, I'm like, I wonder, you know, three years down the road, how
0: close was I? And you know, normally you don't want to know that. Uh, answer <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it, you know, if the projections are because they're required, like for the SBA, right? You got to have a business yeah. plan, you got to do oh, projections. F- sure. You know, we just get this uh, standard 10%, 15% a year, whatever. It seems conservative. The new guy's going to come with some new energy and try to grow things. But, uh, you know, those are worth exactly the digital bytes that they're printed with, right? <laughs> completely uh-huh. crap. Yeah. So, and and this is one of the things when I counsel people who are looking at buying a business, um, you know, I always tell them, look, if you don't come to this deal with a solid plan to grow it, don't do it, right? Yeah, do do not great, expect to buy a, a cash flow machine that you can just sort of stand back and expect to maintain status quo, right? Everything right, it's right. either growing or dying, and if you're not sure it's growing, then guess what? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's dying. Yeah. So you know, if you're getting into something that you're brand new to, you better start doing your homework immediately. Yeah. Or even if you think you've got some experience, right? Make sure. I hear from people all the time. Well, you know what? The the current seller told me they don't do any advertising, so I'm going to start doing advertising, and that's going to grow the business. Well, how do you know? Right? Did the other guy yeah. try advertising and it didn't work? Yeah. That's why they don't do it. Or is the cost of ads? you know, 3x the lifetime value of the customer, well, then that's not going to work either. So figure out what your growth plan is. You know, the best buyers are somebody who's already well aligned with the industry, right? It's a strategic acquisition or somebody who is maybe a C-level executive. They're buying into their own, but they know all the customers. They've been to all the trade shows. They know exactly what the pain points are. And they go, here's my, this is my plan for my five-year plan for growth, blah, 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 blah. It's all laid out. I've already had the conversations. As soon as I buy this, we've got invoices. We're ready to send it. That guy, you know, that yeah. might they might be 50% year over year growth. That could be, you know, so yeah. you probably wouldn't put that in your projections, but that's what they could achieve. And on the other that's hand, right. somebody else who feels like, oh, I'm just going to buy it. I'm going to manage it from a distance. I'm just going to bank the money. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to project it. <laughs> but, you know, it's,
1: it's funny you, you say that. I mean, there there's so many courses and so much so much noise out there on how easy it is to buy a business these days. And I don't think I don't think there's enough people that are sitting there pumping the brakes saying, you know what, there's a lot more to run in a business than just being able to create a real sexy spreadsheet. And I don't you know, I I you know now granted, I I have um, you know, if you if you look at the default rates on the SBA, they're not very high. I mean that they're making good deals. So Mm -hmm. somehow, some way, that you know these projections and these people that are buying it, you know, it's good. Now, you know, maybe we'll see it different. You know, two to five years from now, but but I I guess where I was heading with it is it it is that it's just you know you can't run a business from a spreadsheet. I think you I think you know you you see that all the time. Um, Yeah. All right, my my last question I ask of every guest I've ever had is if you had one piece of advice that you could give to the to a business owner that would have the biggest impact on its value and or sellability, what would it be?
0: It would be start early. Start the process early. And right? if you're thinking about selling, the longer the runway you can give yourself, the better off you will be. And honestly, the way I run my business and the way I'd advise anyone else to think about running their business is always run it like you might sell it, right? Because if you're doing that, you're not allowing excess inventory to build up. You're not overstaffing. You're not paying for subscriptions. You're not using. You're always keeping an eye on what is the enterprise value of the thing that I'm running. If I sold it tomorrow. How much could I get for it? And is that the best I can do? If you're always ready, your financials are clean, your metrics are good, your growth is there, your profit is optimized. And I don't mean down to the last penny, yeah. but you know, yeah. generally speaking, you're running it as if at any point you could sell it, then you're probably running it really well for the most yeah. part. And you really are ready if somebody come along and say, look, this what you've got strategically fits into what I'm building. And I just got a stupid amount of money from some investor and I'm willing to pay you a stupid price. You could do that deal on short notice, which yeah. is, you know, probably not going to happen. But it's it just being ready, I think, overall so helps you be a better business owner. So that's that, that would that's be my good. advice. Run it like it's going to sell it no matter when you actually sell it. That's cool.
1: Um. All right. Well, how do we how do we get in touch
0: with you? So the best place to find us is the website, capforge.com. It's got lots of information about me and us and our services. And of course, an email contact form and a phone number. I'm always happy to have a conversation with anybody, whether you're thinking about selling or not. You're not sure if you want to change accounting firms or not, you know, or just general business advice. I'm happy to chat with anybody. If we can be of service, great. I'm a big believer. And, you know, it comes back to you eventually, right? Whether it's the guy I talked to or the guy he refers me to later or something yeah. else, you know, who knows? I'll put it out there. Got it. Yeah. And, and you can do work <laughs> across the country, yes? Oh, yeah. We've got clients in all 50 states and actually a fair amount of clients who are foreign who own U.S. Oh. entities as well. So we're we're pretty nice. broad reaching. Nice. Well, Matt, I, I, uh, I'm
1: I Really happy that we had the opportunity to talk. It was a <laughs> it was a good one. I, and like I said, you're the you're the first guy that that does your kind of work that's been on the podcast in one hundred and twenty episodes. So I'm wow. it, it, you delivered, my man. All right.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Well, hopefully, if we can be of service to anybody who's listening, you know, we're happy to do it. And I think, honestly, there should be more of us out there. I think this is a key piece that a lot of times doesn't get looked at until too far down in the process to where it could have been a lot more help if it had been done sooner.
1: No, great, great point. Well, thanks, my friend, and have a great
0: holiday. All right, you too. Thanks for having me. This was another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you
1: don't miss any future episodes.